Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jennifer White, and I am here with my sister, Ellen Trackman. Hi. I was like, are you going to say hi? (laughs) Yes. Suddenly there was like a little lag in silence there. I am here. I am here. Yes. Fully Uh, present. So my question today, it feels a little meta uh, Mm. because, you know, so so my question for you is, are you into podcasts? And the reason I ask is because I think it's ironic that I am not a huge podcast listener myself. Uh, I, I just don't drive that much, so I don't have that much time to listen to them. And I mean, my brain is always occupied in many other ways. <laughs> I mean, so like yeah. I have a few, like I always listen to This American Life and I have a few like marketing ones I keep up with and things like that. But generally I'm not. So Ellen, are you a big podcast listener? Um, I, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. Kind of the driving thing can make a big difference of how many podcasts you listen to. But I do love podcasts. I've definitely driven a lot less in the last year, like most mm-hmm. people in the world who can't go anywhere anymore. Um, <laughs> but still listen to them like walking and other things sometimes when I get the chance or doing dishes. Um, but yeah, no, there's so many that I love. Uh, like This American Life, I think was my first big podcast love, mm-hmm. right? Um, Oh, I also listen to Death, Sex, Money. Oh, yeah, I listen to that one. Uh, Hidden Brain, I really enjoy. I enjoy, like, a lot of story ones, too. Like, Serial, I really enjoyed when the... I think another mm-hmm. one's coming out, I did soon. listen to Serial, yeah. Um, what else? Oh, uh, The Dream, I really enjoyed that one. There's a couple episodes of it. It's, like, all about multi-level marketing companies, which I am always fascinated with. So I thought that was a great one. Um, Yeah. So many good ones aside from, I want to put a baby in you. Um, And, oh, and I got the the huge honor of being asked to be on one that I hadn't heard until I was asked. And I was really excited about it. And it's called, it's not human sexuality. So that was very interesting. And a lot of it. So the, one of the co-hosts and founders started a nonprofit called look both ways, which is an updating sex education, or as she likes it, it's not all about human sexuality. It's like human reproduction. And she talks about kind of the meaning behind this, that, you know, before sex education was so limited, but well, really should be taking a much bigger look at reproduction. So that's awesome. And that yeah. actually somewhat segues nicely to our podcast guest talking about, you know, the non-traditional ways to make babies and to mm-hmm. have a family. Welcome, David Dodge, to the podcast. David, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, David, where to start with your incredible background? Um, I feel like you have a lot to contribute to the conversation in assisted reproductive technology so much. Um, let's start with, with your terribly unimpressive academics, maybe. The, uh, NYU, Harvard, is that... Is that right? I th- that those, those are community colleges, right? <laughs> Although none of my studies have anything to do with this particular subject. So, you know, it's, it's true. <laughs> that's that's okay. true. Throw it out there. A little bit randomly. Yeah. yeah. Well, how about let's, um, how about you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to, to this world? Sure. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I started to um, become more aware of this world because it's a very personal subject to me. Um, about seven years ago, two very good friends of mine, uh, a lesbian couple asked if I would consider being their, uh, sperm donor, um, which, you know, totally caught me off guard. I was not expecting it. I had no plans to have children biological or otherwise. Um, and you know, so I, I did in that instance, what I think 
any normal person would do, um, which is obsessively research it online. <laughs> but it, you know, just I didn't know anything about known donorship or any any of the you know considerations I should be thinking about the legal yeah. implications, none of it. So um, I kind of dove into looking for positive examples of how this could work online mm. um, and found none. <laughs> oh, no. And I yeah. have to say, I think one of your articles, you talk about how mm. your first reaction was a statement like, but I'm short or something. <laughs> Is that right? So, right. So I, I ended up chronicling my journey to becoming a known donor for the New York Times um, before the birth of my first daughter. Um, and that was my, literally the first thing out of my, out of my mouth. <laughs> I have a lot of lesbian friends. And so I kind of figured, and, you know, and I know that, um, these sorts of arrangements are becoming more common within the yeah. LGBTQ community. Uh, but I always thought I was going to be saved from being asked because I'm only, you know, I like to say I'm five foot six, but you know, <laughs> more like I clock like at a five foot five. So, you know, uh, it's like, if you get to choose who your donor is, why not just, you know, give them the best chance that they have to be on like the basketball team. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so I, um, I took a long time to to think about it and to research it, and um, you know, and I was just shocked at how little information there was online that was helpful in any way. Like there was, you know, usually what you would find are examples of these arrangements going horribly wrong with people yeah. suing each other or like you know friendships being ruined. Uh, and I just didn't really feel like that was going to be the case with me and my two close friends. Because um, ha happy, normal stories don't make news, right? No, exactly right. So that's exactly <laughs> it's right. It's not sexy. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm like. It's just not. And that was in my exact pitch, actually, to the, to the Times to chronicle my own experience, because I yeah. just wanted there to be um, an example of the considerations that were, you know, all the questions going through my mind, all the, you know, like the implications for my family and for theirs and for obviously for the kids, most importantly. Um, and so, yeah, I started doing like a weekly blog, um, to just kind of talk about what was going on in my mind at the time. Um, and then following that, I, um, I was reached out to by, um, the co-founders of this website that was new at the time called Gaze with Kids. And they, uh, were interested in bringing me in to continue writing about it and to, um, yeah. kind of help them grow this, uh, this, you know, kind of first of its kind, um, online magazine and resource for, um, for gay, bi, and trans men interested in fatherhood. So it's been through that experience that I've learned so much more about the world of uh, not just reproductive techno technologies, but also adoption and foster yeah. care and co-parenting and just kind of the whole range of experience that is available to um, gay, bi, and trans men interested in, in parenthood. Um, so that's kind of how I came to this journey, kind of, you know, very, um, very uh, randomly <laughs> through, through, uh, through being asked by my friends to be a donor. And I mean, what I see is like your writings in this area, which are brilliant and funny, as well as you being the editor of the website. Can I, what did you do before you lived in this world, before being in this world? Yeah, so I, um, I got my start um, as a community organizer, actually. So I, after I, I went to NYU and got a degree in political science um, and, you know, was very politically minded. So I, I started as a public housing community organizer in, uh, in Harlem. Uh, yeah. you know, going door to door and working to try to uh, improve conditions in the city's notoriously yeah. crumbling infrastructure, public housing. Um, and, you know, so from there, I kind of, uh, you know, got my um, learned about organizing skills. And so I, I started to reach out into other fields. So I started to do some LGBTQ um, organizing. I'm a veteran of the, the marriage wars, um, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I became more interested in research. Um, and so that's what led me to uh, to look into getting a public policy degree. So my, I went to the Harvard Kennedy School of Government to, um, to uh, brush up on my policy and research skills, which 
um, I then um, started to apply working for the city of New York for um, five years. Uh, I worked for the Manhattan Borough President. Um, and then, you know, at the end of that five years, realized that government was not really where I wanted to be spending my time. So that's, when I, uh, and during that, that's actually, it was while I was working for the city that I, um, I started writing. So it was, um, and, and that kind of just took off very naturally. So it was, um, you know, by the time I, my career in the city came to an end, I, I had built up, a you know, a decent number of bylines and realized that writing is really what I, I wanted to do. So, um, yeah. So yeah, that's um, mostly my work now is uh, various forms of writing. Nice. And you you have a really interesting background where you, in some of your writing, you talk about how your friends will introduce you to a cocktail party being like, this is my gay Mormon friend from Utah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they added my gay Mormon known donor friend from Utah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, it's always a little piece of conversational fodder people like to, to throw into the mix. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's true for both of those subjects, you know, being a gay man from Utah that grew up um, Mormon, people just, you know, it's an automatic 30 minute conversation, you know, and I, I can predict the questions that I'm going to get. Um, and, you know, it doesn't bother me in the least, but it's yeah. just, do you want to go and right. do you want to go ahead and answer those for people? Who are, <laughs> well, I, I, I was going to say, it's funny. I actually made fun of a headline recently where somebody that's exactly how they headlined it. They titled it as Mormon gay couple from Utah. And I was like, why oh, really? is that the most important part of that <laughs> conversation? So I, <laughs> I maybe because we grew up in a, a heavily Mormon area, it didn't uh, seem like that was the most important part right. of the conversation there. But um, right. yes, for everybody else who didn't, maybe you should go into why. It's funny; it's changing now. Now with the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City being a thing, you know, that's usually the first thing people ask me is if I've watched that at all, and if it's like true to life. And I'm like, right. I is it? <laughs> you haven't uh, watched it? Which I I have not, but I I, think, oh. I feel like I need to. I've never watched any of the franchise, but I feel like yeah. you know I need to do my duty and and to. Um, to give it a whirl. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, so being, you know, I think people assume um, when they hear gay Mormon, they, they hear trauma and they, they expect, you know, an unsupportive family and all, all those sorts of things. And that's not without basis. I think it's, it's definitely the experience of the majority of my gay friends who grew up Mormon. Uh, but I am a unicorn and that I had incredibly supportive parents and that's brothers great. and they, um, collectively have been incredibly supportive of me since I was very young and none of us are active participants in the church anymore. Um, and, but you know, the same is actually true for, for my, uh, you know, I've obviously because I'm Mormon, I have a thousand cousins. Um, and they are most, most of the ones that are my age are also, you know, when I started writing about uh, my journey to be being a known donor, uh, I wasn't particularly close with most of my Mormon, uh, cousins, particularly after my family left the church. Um, and they started reaching out on social media, um, to just, you know, commend me for what I was doing and to be, you know, lend their support. And these are, you know, active members of the church and it totally threw me that they were, um, you know, that I, I do feel like there's going to be like a, a tidal wave of change within the Mormon church, um, uh, hopefully soon because mm -hmm. is, the younger members are far more progressive on issues like this than, uh, than the older generation. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I would say. That you know, it's it's usually I find myself in the funny position of having to defend Mormonism when people when people find out that I'm a gay Mormon, just assume that I'm going to tell them this whole trauma story. But um, uh, for me, that's not yeah. I'm very fortunate, but that's that wasn't my experience. Yeah, well, I'm glad that that wasn't your experience. That's great. Same. <laughs> uh, right. Um, so going back to your story of being being a donor, when you're first asked that question and you're doing all this research, kind of what what was your take? Were you, was your initial reaction like, no, or like, 
were you thinking yes, but, and how, how did you navigate that? I, I mean, I think my initial response was just pure shock. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, really did, you know, anyone that has known me a long time knows that this is not something that anyone would have predicted for me. Um, so, you know, I just, I was not, um, of the mind that I was ever going to have children. It was never something I needed. I, you know, I was, um, uh, in a relationship at the time and, um, you know, it, it was just known from the beginning that that wasn't something that I wanted and, and he was okay with that. Um, so, you know, I, I think it, it was more just kind of get, getting over the hump of, um, of the initial ask. And then when I really started to think about it, um, I, you know, I started, these again are, are two of my best friends and I, I started to think like, well, you know, these are going to be people that I want in my life for the rest of my life. And mm. however I end up having children, I know that, um, you know, I'll, I'll be a part of their lives. So, you know, why not be, I guess, really a part of their lives, really a part of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> <laughs> but then, the, so once I kind of decided that I was okay with the concept, then the, the bigger, um, hurdle for me actually was my family, making sure my family was, uh, okay with this because, so I, I have three brothers. Um, I'm the only one that has had biological children. Uh, all three of my brothers are straight. Um, and it, my older brother is in, uh, is married to a woman, um, that uh, has a child from a previous marriage. So he's a, he's a stepfather. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of, you know, the experience of being biological grandparents, like no one was going to, no one in my family was looking to me as the one that was going to make that happen. And, <laughs> and I knew it was going to be a big deal to my family. Um, and, you know, and before I said, yes, um, you know, I had, I had a concept of what this was going to be like as a donor. And I, I honestly thought that we all kind of thought it was going to be much more distant than what it's turned into. Like I, hmm. I didn't expect to be quite as involved as I am. I certainly didn't expect my family to be as involved and neither did my, my friends. And I, I think at the beginning of, of this whole journey, they, um, had, uh, understandable fear that, you know, that I would want to overstep my, my role or to play a bigger, you know, to play a, a role in the decision-making around their upbringing, uh, that my family would, ups, uh, you know, want to play a bigger role than they felt comfortable with. And the, you know, it hasn't, that hasn't been further from the truth. And I think it surprised them just as much as me, but they, you know, and it really was almost automatically the minute our eldest daughter was born, it was an open door, but you know, they, they want me involved as much as I can be. I, you know, I, uh, and as well as my family, I think that they really view it as, um, you know, the more loving adults in a kid's life, the Mm. better. And and these kids are spoiled with love. Yeah. Right. I mean, that is a normal fear that people go through, you know, it's kind of that trope of the, and we've talked to an egg donor about that. The trope of the, the egg donor is is like slow kidnapping, you you know? And I mean, so it's just turned the other direction. And I mean, so it's psychologically something that I think everybody struggles through. And, you know, it's hard to really talk about it or think about it or conceive of it when it's abstract. Right. But the minute it was like a reality and I think they all just kind of saw, uh, we all saw that, you know, what this was going to be like and that, you know, that they didn't really have to fear me running off with their, <laughs> their children, you know? Um, did yeah. you fear the other direction that they would expect more of you or that the children or child would expect more of you than you were comfortable with? They are, um, from, from their perspective, they, you know, I, I think that they have held true to their um, original kind of understanding of our arrangement, which is that they really don't expect they don't ex- the the mothers do not expect anything from me beyond being known to the kids. So that there's not an expectation that I am, uh, you know, uh, in their lives at a certain frequency or that I participate in certain holidays or anything like that. Uh, but I, you know, I it's kind of just happened naturally that that's been the case. So it's no expectation that they're putting on me, but it's, you know, it's once, 
uh, and this is another thing that's hard to understand in the abstract, but once you, you know, bring children into the world and you develop a bond with them, um, yeah. you know, it's, the, it's the, you know, it's the, it's the, um, it's what I want to, to, you know, keep growing and, and the relationship that I have with them. And, you know, it's, a, it's an individual relationship with the kids, you know, that I, uh, the, uh, the expectation that I'm developing with them and, and the life that I want to, uh, have with them. Um, so it, it is in the, it, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not any pressure that I'm feeling from them, but it is, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, it's trying to figure out and they now live up in Connecticut. I'm in New York. Um, which isn't far. But it's far I was going to say, I live in Connecticut too. It's not that far. So. <laughs> Definitely not that far. But, you know, as, yeah, as a, like a single gay man living in New York, um, trying to find, you know, it's the challenge for me really is like, I, you know, I have to work them into my life in a, in a meaningful way um, that feels good to me and, and to them and frequent enough and, you know, to, to maintain the relationship with them that, you know, I don't want them growing up and looking back and thinking that I was never around or um, that I'm just a donor. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's, it's work to, you know, on top of every, everything else that, you know, uh, live career dating, everything else, it's, it's not, it's not, um, it's not always a simple thing. And, you know, it's been doubly true during the pandemic, obviously. Yeah, right. Yep. So can you share kind of what, it sounds like you, you are very involved in, in, in the children's lives. Can you share kind of what that relationship is and what it, what it looks like and like. Do you, do they call you dad, for example? What do they call you? So, so the, the name, um, you know, we, we landed on, so at the beginning of all this, and this is something that every donor, uh, known donor in particular struggles with at some point is the, the naming conventions. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just had one request, which was not to be known as an uncle. <laughs> the you know, which is very common and no. no yeah, yeah. No and so what was your opposition to uncle? I just, I kept, I actually wrote about this in one of my pieces too. I just didn't, I had this like notion of them like growing up and f- suddenly it clicking for them. Like, Oh my God, my, my uncle is my dad. And that, you know, that, you know, it was like a Maury Povich moment that I just didn't want for them. Mm, that's <laughs> like, I did, a really I, fair, thoughtful assessment of that. <laughs> I will say I did read that piece, but th- there was even more like another, a, a more fascinating element as well to it, which was that, um, your friends, they went through IVF, right? And they had two embryos transferred for the first child. And one was genetically related to one and the other was really genetically related yes. to the other embryo and yep. one took. And so I think you talk about kind of this Mary Povich, Mary Povich part yeah. where like, okay, we know who your dad is. It's your uncle, but we don't know who your mom is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, in, you know, looking back, it's, you know, and that's, I guess, technically still true. We, we don't know, but my, my friends look so completely different and are you know, like, <laughs> blonde and Nordic and our, our daughter is exactly the same. So it's very, mm. very obvious who, you know, who's took, uh, the first go around, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it was, um, uh, yeah, kind of a funny, uh, little mind game at the time. <laughs> it's like, we don't technically, we know who the father is. We don't know who the mother is. Um, yeah. So what did you land on? What, are, what are you called? Oh, for my name, right. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so my only request is don't call me uncle. And for them, they, you know, it, they, um, they refer to like a wide range of their friends that are not obviously biologically related to the kids is I mean, they really do have like a big tent kind of mentality with their, um, with their family. And, you know, so basically any friend or, or, uh, you know, um, family member is referred to as an aunt or an uncle. So from them, that that's why mm-hmm. they suggested it at first. But I, for me, I was like, okay, I understand that, but this is just a little bit different 
uh, where I'm concerned. I'd rather them just call me yeah. David, honestly, than to um, than to have them have to. You didn't. You didn't go for for Dunkle, like the donor no, uncle. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So no, no derivative of uncle was my only request, and I honestly said, you come up with anything else you want to call me is totally fine by me, but I just don't want to be something that I am not. Um, and so they came up, and so for them, I also understand that calling me dad or father you know, it does imply a role that I'm not playing. I'm, you know, we're, we're not co-parenting in that mm-hmm. way. Like I am involved in their lives, but I am not a decision maker. I'm not parenting. I you know, definitely don't know the first thing about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, so for them, they, they landed on Papa, which is, you know, dad in a different language and maybe sure. a little bit less um, intensive, uh, you know, so that's my kids call me Papa, which is, you know, if you have ever heard like little American toddlers running around calling someone Papa. It's adorable. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's adorable. Yeah. Um, can like a, like a crazed stalker fan of your writing. Do you mind if I just like read an excerpt? Cause I, I find your, your writing absolutely hilarious. I love it so much and I wish it was a book so I can be like, everyone go buy this book, but hopefully that's in the future. <laughs> yeah, no, please go ahead. Okay. I'm just going to read this one paragraph. Cause I thought it was so, so adorable. So, <clears throat> and it's kind of going to like how you felt like you were not a kid person at all before right. you do this guy. So <clears throat> Coochie, coochie, coo. Someone was carrying on in falsetto the other day during my weekly visit with Tori and Kelly's daughter. Really? Coochie, coo? Could you be more contrived? Who's got your nose? The voice exclaimed next at an even higher pitch. I was mid-eye roll before realizing to my mortification that it was I who was emitting these horrible noises. It was I who had her nose. I, <laughs> I love that so much. Oh, does it? how does it feel hearing your writing back to you? I think it's so adorable. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And it, you know, um, it was a, uh, it definitely messed with uh, with my mind having, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, having, again, having it all in the abstract is one thing, but then when you're actually like holding, you know, a kid that you help bring into the world, it was, um, yeah, it's it was automatic and it was sudden and um, not what I had anticipated. If anything, I was worried that I was going to struggle to have a connection with them, and it's been with all three. It's been you know automatic from the jump and. Uh, yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm not a sociopath, so I make the children. I think there are other parts where you do refer to yourself as a sociopath, which I enjoy as well. <laughs> like, like a sociopath, I try to answer like a normal person. <laughs> so, um, so did it change? I mean, it sounded like you kind of went into this thinking like, I'm not a kid person, I'm the last person on earth, and that's really changed. Did it change your own perspective on whether you would want to be a father raising your own children at some point in the future? Right. No, I, I get, I get that question a lot, which is yeah. a good one. We um, have to ask it to you because it's, you know, it's required at all point. We're like, when are you having kids? When are you having the next one? Right. So just well, you know, given the subject, the podcast, I think that's a fair, it's a fair question. Um, so, you know, for me, it has not changed um, my desire. You know, if anything, I now see parenting up close and personal and, yeah. and very impressed by the people that have the patience and the fortitude to <laughs> do it day in and day out. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I think if anything, um, it's probably strengthened my resolve to not raise children myself, because if anything, I want to uh, give any sort of attention and love uh, any you know aspect of quote unquote parenting that I'm going to do. I want to go to the three kids I've already brought into the world. Um, and, you know, which can complicate things dating wise because it's you need to find like a sure yeah. who, uh doesn't want kids themselves because that's not something i'm interested in but also isn't so like repelled by the idea of children that they are you know um turned off by the fact that i have three of them that are that are you know very much a part of my life uh so yeah it's kind of an interesting 
you know, place I've uh, put myself in there. <laughs> yeah, that is really interesting. And I, I did think it was interesting that you said when they had asked you to be a donor, you really consulted your family first to see mm-hmm. what their thoughts were, but you were in a relationship at the time. Yeah. Was that part of the equation as well, having that conversation? He was so supportive of it from the from the get-go. And, you know, he was actually, interestingly enough, was that unicorn where he very much liked children a lot um, and was great with them, but didn't want them himself. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I, that was actually probably the easiest conversation that I had to, he, you know, from the, from the minute he was, I told him that they had asked me, he was like, do it, go. Yes. And I mean, to be, to be honest, my, my family was the exact same way. I kept wanting them to be like, okay, you need to calm down and think this through. <laughs> it be so exciting. Everyone was, I think it's my parents in particular were never thought they were going to get children out of me. So they, they viewed Aww. this as a very, you know, positive thing. And even if, you know, at the time I really like, especially with my mother who I love dearly. And, um, uh, <laughs> but you know, it was, was the excitement that came across her face was just so, you know, intense that I, I had to be like, mom, you have to understand that you may, I, I made her understand <laughs> at the time, even though I knew this wasn't going to be true. I was like, they could abscond with these children and move to China. Like you may never see these children ever. They may not refer to you as grandma. Like you need to be okay with every, yeah. you know, with zero right. role in these kids' lives. Cause we don't have control. Um, and you know, she, she still readily agreed. And, you know, I mm. think all, I try, like, I think I traumatized her a little bit into thinking that she was going to have no role in the kids' lives. And again, oh. <laughs> I mean, set, you know, set expectations low and then be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I approach things too logically sometimes, but she, um, uh, and you keep referring to children, you know, like from the outset, what was your, thought process and discussion from the beginning was it to like start with one see where this goes or was it always intended that you were going to try to help them have multiple children oh so i mean this is again where i did a lot of projecting because when they when they first asked me they've been upfront from the beginning that they wanted multiple children um and you know me being who i am and you know they were you know these were like my new york buddies they were used to living in tiny cramped apartments too and i i think i um i overestimated their commitment to living in, you know, cramped, dirty New York city. <laughs> uh, cause I, you know, in my mind, I was like, they're going to have one and they're going to realize, Oh my God, this is so much work. Like, you know, one's great. We'll, we'll, you know, you know, keep hanging out in our cute studio apartment in Queens with our one kid. And, and that would be enough. <laughs> no, yeah. they, they definitely, they, you know, they definitely wanted a big family. Um, and so the agreement was, I mean, they asked from the beginning that they, you know, if I'd be open to having multiple kids and I very much was like, let's, you know, I can't, it's hard for me to answer that. Let's, let's see how the first one goes and we'll, um, you know, we'll take it from there. Uh, but in the, the way that it ended up happening is the, the, our second, um, child came around very quickly after the first, um, um, because my, uh, both of, um, uh, or all, all three of these kids were conceived via IVF and one of my friends carried two of them and, uh, the other carried one. Um, and so because they had some challenges, um, conceiving both of them, um, the doctors were basically letting my friend who hadn't carried our first kid know that she needed to, uh, you know, get going on it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it all. So literally, and you know, she had attempted IVF multiple times in the past and it hadn't taken. Um, mm-hmm. and this was, uh, prior to working with me as their donor, they were originally trying to use an, uh, an anonymous one, um, and, you know, so it was three months after our daughter was born, she went to um, the uh, the clinic to, you know, we were all kind of like, okay, let's just give it a go. None of us actually thinking it was going to work because she hadn't, you know, it hadn't worked 
previously. And you hear this all the time, like once the pressure is taken off, like, you know, kids uh, or, or families adopting or, you know, just uh, once kind of like the stress of not being able yeah. to conceive is taken um, out of the equation, then, you know, it, it, it that's when it happens. And that's mm-hmm. where she conceived on the first go of IVF. And so our son was born <laughs> within the year that my daughter was. So they're, they're less than a year. Oh, wow. Too. So, like, so they didn't last in New York very long, trying to raise two children in a studio apartment. So that, that's what prompted their move to, to Connecticut. Makes sense. Um, so go, backing up, sorry to jump all over the place. Um, did you enter into a legal contract before you donate to them? And was it like the most fun part ever? And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer, as you may know. <laughs> There's so much fun legal contracts. Oh, you're going to be very disappointed. By oh, me. no. <laughs> this, well, so and this is, you know, I am now part of my job is um, at Gays with Kids is to help kind of counsel people on the best mm-hmm. way to do these arrangements. And, you know, still because of the series I did for the Times, there does, you know, there's not a week that goes by that I don't have someone, either like a friend of a friend putting me in touch with someone yeah. uh, that's been approached about being a donor or just through the website or my writing. Um, and, you know, that's the first thing I tell them to do is go to a lawyer, talk to a lawyer. You can't do this without a lawyer. We didn't do it with a lawyer. <laughs> oh, there was no lawyer. Wow. Oh, wow. So anyone that's listening is considering this, go to a lawyer. Don't, you know, do as I yeah. um, say, not as I do. Um, yeah. Aside but, from the legal protections, I feel like you really missed no, out on just that experience. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, so our situation was a little, our, my only defense is that the year that we, uh, we did go speak to a lawyer, um, at first, we talked to several lawyers, actually, but there was this bizarre case, maybe you're familiar with it, um, that was happening at the time where a lesbian couple um, that was trying to do a second parent adoption, which is what they recommend you do to make sure that you shore up your legal protections as the two yeah. uh, parents and to sever the ties with the donor. Um, so, to, you know, to protect all three of us the most, that is what we were attempting to do. Uh, but there was a case that had happened that year um, where... Um, a judge had, I think, trying to do this in like a pro LGBTQ like ruling, um, had ruled that because they were married, there was a presumption of parenthood in the same way that uh, straight couples are. Um, you know, when when a when a straight couple has a, a baby, there's an automatic presumption that the father and the mother are both the if they're married are the yeah. parents of the of that child. Um, and so, you know, in in uh, you know, that's how it should be for LGBTQ couples as well. That's that it would be nice if that were the case, but you know, our paths to parenthood are a little bit more complicated. Um, and so, you know, the law really hasn't caught up to that yet. So I think that the judge was trying to kind of set this precedent that, you know, they, you don't need to go through second parent adoption. It's all just kind of in the, um, in the law already. Um, but you know, it ended up <laughs> basically denying us the ability to do it that year. I mean, I think it's changed in the wow. years. Really, now we're just being lazy and need to go back and do it. But we were told <laughs> by two different lawyers that we talked to that uh, that they didn't think that we would be able to do a second parent adoption because of um, because of that. So in terms of like, mm. the, you know, we did you know, write down kind of expectations, you know, the expectations of our arrangement, what that would look like. We took seven months before I said yes to really think through all the ins and outs of it. Yeah. Um, and did you, and, did you put anything down in writing or discuss like you can't donate my genetic material to other people or, you know, we agree to disclose if there's medical information relevant to each other, those kind of things. We, we did, but it, we also were told by the lawyers that we spoke to that these contracts are not 
legally enforceable in most oh, cases. Wow. <laughs> it's like, yeah, wow. you know, so it's, it's the sort of, you know, I think for us, it was what seems to be important. This is what I'll tell people that are interested in doing this is that it's the exercise of sitting down and having those conversations. That's, that's the most important and the law needs to catch up, right? Like there needs yeah. to be more, um, there needs to be more backing behind these contracts to make them more enforceable in court. Um, and that's just, you know, it's a, another instance of LGBTQ, um, family planning being a little bit ahead of the curve than, you know, um, than the law. Um, so, so, you know, I think if we were to do it now, things are starting to change a little bit, but to my knowledge, it's still, you know, it's not always, um, a guarantee that what you put in writing, even, you know, with the help of a lawyer, um, is going to, uh, stand up in court if there is a problem. Uh, we're very fortunate that we've had zero problems and it's been, you know, very smooth sailing. Uh, but you know, like I, I've heard of plenty of examples of these arrangements. Again, like I said, when I first started doing research into it, you can find plenty of news stories and examples of these arrangements mm. going horribly wrong. Uh, so it is important to shore up your um, your protections as as much as possible. Uh, but again, this is why you know I I um, will say this as well too. Like <laughs> the number of people that will come to me and say, "This is my arrangement." I you know I had this this like friend of a friend asked me and, you know, I've met her twice at a coffee shop and, uh, you know, I'm thinking of donating to her and, you know, almost anyone else's situation when they explain the known donor arrangement, I'm like, why would you, why would you do that? <laughs> you know, so it really was, which I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but it's, uh, for me looking, you know, it really was, it was, an, um, the situation was just so perfect for me to feel comfortable yeah. doing it with two of my best friends that I trusted. Um, and, you know, and, you know, I there obviously can never know the future completely, but, you know, I think the strength of our friendship has been tested multiple times throughout the course of this um, mm-hmm. arrangement and has held firm. Um, and, you know, so I, I really like there are whole um, websites now that match people um, looking for donors with, right. with donors, which, you know, I, I, I actually keep meaning to do more research into them and do uh, potentially a piece on it because uh, I find it fascinating, the whole concept. And I know, you know, I, I think that something like that could potentially be a great asset to the LGBTQ community or really any parenting community that's interested in, you know, having uh, children outside the confines of like a traditional arrangement. Um, yeah. Before we get too far away from the New York law comments, I just want to okay. throw in like a quick pitch for Eric Rubel. And we've had a couple episodes with him. He's an attorney in New York who's worked on several of these you know, oh, yeah. cases. And so if anyone's interested in hearing more about the intricacies of New York law, especially as applied to LGBTQ families, those using assisted reproductive technology, his episodes are great. And he's a great resource in the state. So Eric Rubel. I should probably go listen to that too. <laughs> <laughs> Thing, yeah. Um, so y- you mentioned how so many people, when they see your writing, they're connected to you, where they're thinking about being a donor. What are those big tips and you know takeaways that you have for for potential donors, especially in known arrangements? Yeah. So I mean, I, I think it it is first of all to see a lawyer um, and <laughs> I, I did not pay him to say that. FYI, you said that on his own. No, it, it is. It's totally it is totally um, the the most important thing I think you can do outside. You know, so but again, like I said, you know, there as um, as uh, we've been talking about, it's not it's not foolproof. Right. There's uh, yeah. the law only gets you so far, which is why it's really the most important thing to me is that you feel incredibly confident about the people you're doing this with and that you're not rushing into it. That You, t- you know, again, like I took seven months, I could have taken seven more months, I think, to really feel as confident as I could have about it. It's not, this isn't, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, the most important thing to remember when you're doing this is that 
when you're in these discussions with your friends or whoever it is that you're thinking of doing this with, uh, it's easy to get caught up in like the, um, you know, the abstract of how it's going to impact you as uh, adults, but you're also bringing children into the world that are going to be impacted by this arrangement for the rest of their lives, right? Um, so, so to make sure that you're thinking of this through the lens of the children as well, and um, and making sure that what you're doing is going to be in their best interests, um, and you know, to keep that at the front of your mind. Um, and so, you know, to me, that's just not something to take uh, casually. Um, and so, you know, even, you know, I, I'm not saying that if you find someone online or any other way um, that you're, and you're interested in doing this, I think these services, again, potentially can be a really great thing. Um, but even, you know, well, especially then you need to really, you know, know who you're doing this with and feel confident about it um, before, um, you know, before doing anything else. Because, again, like if it does go sour, um, the the law ideally will protect you. And again, it's, it's so, you know, it's based, um, it's different state to state, as you know. Um, so yeah. it really also depends on where you're living in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the law only gets you so far. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Thank you for that, that unsolicited pitch to attorneys. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So aside from legal, what, I mean, actually, okay, aside from the tips, what obstacles, would you wish you had warned yourself up or wish you'd been more prepared to expect if you were new to this or to tell yourself before you entered into this? I, you know, I, I think to, this might just be unique to me, but I, I would tell myself to, you know, take people at face value with what they say that they want. So, you know, um, my friends to their credit have been very, um, forthcoming about what they wanted and that hasn't changed. They wanted multiple kids. Um, they wanted a family, they wanted to prioritize that. So, you know, in my mind, I, I just assumed that there would be, you know, maybe one kid, they were going to live in New York, like me the rest of my life, and it was going to be easy for me to just kind of, uh, you Even know, Even though that wasn't what they were saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, so, you know, I mean, you don't I, know, you don't know what you want. I know what's going to happen. You know, <laughs> you know I, I, it's embarrassing to, to say it out loud, but it's, it's totally true. I, I made up some, some big, uh, uh, you know, projections thinking mm-hmm. that, um, you know, and that's not what, came to pass. And that's, you know, and so it's been the the hard part for me in this arrangement has been, you know, so I have done this, you know, um, thing. Um, and it's been like, you know, life altering for me. It's, it's impacted every last aspect of my life, including my career, my family. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so it, I, 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 it, it would have been hard to predict just how big of an impact it was going to have on my life and how I was going to have to, um, alter a lot of aspects of it in order to make sure that I am, you know, giving room for this thing that I've done that is so important to me. Um, and, you know, so the, it, it's hard to tell your, you know, former, your former self that <laughs> your whole <laughs> you know. life will change. Right. No, exactly. I, I don't think, you know, not everyone is going to end up, you know, becoming a journalist around this, <laughs> these issues. Right, but, right. Uh, but it will, you know, it's like, I, and I, I guess I say this, um, and, you know, I've covered other examples of arrangements that have not been anywhere near as uh, intense. Like I know arrangements where, you know, the, the donor will dip in and out um, maybe once a year, though, you know, it's all based on like photographs and email and uh, and things like that. And those arrangements seem to work just as great as as uh, the type of arrangement that I'm in. Um, so, you know, but I think, um, well, so I mean, I guess maybe the piece of advice would be you won't know, you know, 
yeah, there's you have to be a, comfortable to a certain level with the unknown in this arrangement because yeah. you don't really know how you're going to react or how your friends are going to react or um, you know once once the kids enter the picture, sure. um, it's uh, yeah to be yeah a little bit comfortable with them. Um, you know, figuring things out as you, as you go along. <laughs> Which is true about parenting generally, but right? now it's like a whole other <laughs> twist and element right, right. that we're dealing yeah. with. Um, did you ever, were you ever approached or did you ever consider donating to others? No. And that's kind of what I was saying before is I, uh, I, well, first of all, again, like I was telling you this before we started the recording that the number of people that when they find out I have three children in a known donor arrangement, a lot of people automatically assume those are three children to three different couples, which is always boggles my mind. And <laughs> they just think I'm like, I'm not sure I'm left and right. Um, but, uh, you know, no, I, I haven't had anyone else ask me, um, and, you know, which I don't know why, because I've created three really beautiful um, children. Right. I mean, once they see your kids, they should be all over you for your sperm. <laughs> but I also just wouldn't, I, yeah, for me, this is, this is like I said, the only people in the world that could have asked me that I would have even considered. Um, and the arrangement was just, you know, it was built on this foundation of uh, love and friendship that, um, that you know, I, I don't, I didn't have with anyone else that I would feel comfortable enough to do that with. Um so yeah, I really, this really was a unique, um, yeah. one in a million sort of situation that made me feel comfortable enough to do it. I mean, it does feel very unique, but at the same time, I suspect that this arrangement's more common than maybe the serial donor where donors do choose just to donate to like a couple or a family. Um, yeah. what can I ask? What's your perspective on the, you know, there's been a lot of big stories out there about serial donors or whatever the term they might use where there are certain sperm donors who are, you know, donating to, to hundreds of people or, you know, aiming for a thousand kids. Right. So, I mean, some of the stories that I, I'm familiar with, are, there are examples of that happening to donors without their knowledge. So, you know, they mm-hmm. um, yeah. will find out That's after true. the fact that a, a sperm bank has, you know, right. basically given out their sample to, you know, hundreds of people. And these kids end up finding each other and forming, you know, whole <laughs> communities. Whole groups, right, yeah. Right. right. Um, so, you know, and it's, that obviously is not, I think, ethical at all on the part of the sperm banks. And I, and I think that that's been curbed for the most part, actually, I, I, but I'm not totally sure. I'd have to do a little bit more research into that. But I, I think since some of those big news stories came out, there's been more, um, more of a push to, to regulate that sort of a thing. People that are interested in doing that intentionally, you know, I guess, you know, I, that's a whole other um, conversation, I think. Um, but I guess I would frame this question in terms of openness uh, in these arrangements, which, um, you know, I think is the, the point of doing, um, an, an open donor arrangement is that it just, the, you know, the, all the research, um, and, you know, now all of our lived experience points to this being beneficial for everyone involved. Um, it, you know, include, I mean, but most importantly, the, the children, it just takes the guesswork out of, um, uh, wondering, you know, who they are and where they came from. And, you know, in a, in, in the, the truth is that there's really no such thing these days as like a closed donor relationship with DNA testing and, uh, you know, just how easy it is to find people on Facebook. So I think if you're, if you're considering being a donor and you're hoping to go into it being anonymous, I think you, you need to, at the very least, go into it, understanding that that might not stay the case. <laughs> that you, uh, and in, in all likelihood, you probably will be, um, and so if that's the case, you know, I think really just kind of questioning uh, your motives um, and why you're doing it. Uh, you know, I think the whole like when I was at Harvard, it was this is before I had 
um, donated mm-hmm. the amount, the aggressiveness. Of the, yeah, of the, I'm yeah. Kind of, were they advertising really heavily? To... Oh, yeah, it was insane. And that was true, I think, for um, for egg donors as well. But they, you know, they because yeah, it looks good, obviously. To like, um, yeah, Harvard donor, Ivy League school year. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I actually learned, uh, I went back and did some research into that and found out that they, most of these sperm banks won't accept donors that are under like five foot eight, oh. <laughs> like a little bit, uh, vindicated in my, you know, first <laughs> they asked me. um, and also a lot of them won't accept, uh, gay men for, uh, the, uh, because of FDA re- regulations yeah. around, mm-hmm. um, blood and sperm donation. So, uh, anyway, that's a, were they, can I ask, were they offering like enormous amounts of money? No, for no. I mean, no. I did, well, I never got that far in the process, <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I don't think it's a, you know, obviously it's more for egg donors as it yeah. should be. Um, but no, it wasn't that, but I guess the, the idea that they're preying on, you know, college, I, I guess yeah. I should use such strong language, but they're advertising so heavily to, you know, young men, um, who, you know, might not fully understand the consequences of what they're doing. And they might, you know, be, be in a situation where they really need the money yeah. or, or whatever. Um, you know, so I, and I, I again, I think it's being a, a quote unquote anonymous donor is great. Um, but it's just the, uh, it, yeah, I, I guess you just really can't conceive of it as being anonymous anymore these days that you're, you're going to be known to some degree, uh, mm-hmm. and you should be comfortable with that going into this. Yeah. Um, I'm curious of your perspective, if you have any deep thoughts about all these stories now coming out, how the worldwide sperm count has dropped by like 50% in the last, you know, few decades. Um, and there, you know, there's predictions of like humankind, you know, being at risk because of lack of sperm. Um, do you have any thoughts about how that might affect sperm donation in the future or humankind in the future? I mean, uh, I guess what that makes me think of is I did a, a piece um, for the Times a couple yeah. years ago um, that was basically predicting the future of um, the ability to to kind of create create cells yes, from basically cell. any cell like in the skin in the, cells. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, you know, if you know, it, it really, I was pretty shocked to learn that it, it, most of the people in this world will say that it's not a matter of if we'll be able to take like a skin cell and turn it into sperm and, and, or eggs. Um, but when, you know, and the, the, what the promise of that is so fascinating, the implications are, uh, are insane. Like they mm-hmm. you know, allow, for instance, two men, um, to be able to have a, a child that's biologically related to both of them or, two or women. your friends who wouldn't have needed you as a exactly. sperm donor. Right. right. Yes. Right. Could be, no, exactly. Um, which, you know, I think is, is fascinating, obviously raises all sorts of ethical questions for people that are, you know, um, uh, you know, afraid of the playing God element of this, but uh, just from a purely like scientific level, I think that that's uh, pretty fascinating. Um, but yes, I mean, for the, the, the stories about uh, decreasing fertility, I guess for me, I'm kind of like, well, you know, soon enough. We'll find a way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Um, any parting thoughts to, to donors? I was thinking about using known donors. I mean, it sounds like overall it's a really amazing thing and it's done it's a really positive part of your life. Um, what would you want to want to leave listeners with? Yeah. Um, it's been an incredibly positive development in my life, an unforeseen one, but, um, you know, I can't imagine my life without these kids now. Um, you know, I, I guess I would just reiterate to not go into, you know, I, I guess the, the same is true for anyone that's thinking of having children. Don't take, don't go into it lightly. Um, and, you know, I, I think for, 
for this is what I, I guess find so fascinating about the world of LGBTQ parenting is that um, that's always the case for us, right? Like we can, we never go into this willy nilly. Like we don't wake up parents suddenly <laughs> for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, so for us, these are deeply, um, uh, you know, time intensive, expensive processes for us um, a lot of the time. Um, and you know, so this isn't exactly what you were saying, but I, I uh, or the question that you were asking, but I, for me, I guess it, the the um, the plug I would make just generally, um, you know, we have um, all these bills being passed throughout the country now that are um, making it legal to uh, discriminate against LGBTQ adoptive and foster parents, or uh, you know, these things are trying to like restrict our rights to be parents. Um, and you know, so for me, I would really like to see the controversy surrounding whether or not. Um, LGBTQ people can be good parents. Like, to, you know, that has been settled for decades now. That's not a question anymore, but we're still, you know, we're still forced back to this conversation over and over and over again. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, to me, it's just, I mean, the evidence, the research all points to there being zero differences in the parenting abilities of queer people versus straight people. And in some instances, we even have some legs up. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, the, the, the conversation, like, you know, it's, it's getting a little tiring to have to keep <laughs> rehashing these conversations as to whether we could be good parents. Um, and, you know, I'd much rather start talking about um, ways that we can um, make our paths to parenthood easier because they're, they're complicated, right? Yeah. Uh, expensive and, and to, you know, like I'm, we're talking about with all these laws, like the law has not caught up, the, you know, insurance hasn't caught up. There's lots of things that, uh, that, um, put barriers in our way to becoming parents. And, um, right. and, uh, you know, so I would, I would, uh, encourage people to, you know, I guess think of that if they're questioning any of our abilities to, um, to be good parents. Yeah. <laughs> so we, these are not, these aren't things that we take lightly. We take, you know, we take a lot of consideration before jumping into these worlds. Definitely. And where can, can people learn more of, see more of your writing, learn more about you, et cetera? Um, sure. They can, um, my personal webpage is by David Dodge is B Y uh, my name, David Dodge.com. Um, or they can also follow me on Instagram or Twitter by the same handles. Right. Well, thank you. We really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you to David Dodge for joining us and just a huge apology for showing my like obsession with your writing and how hilarious and how good it is. So I think that's the only time I've quoted someone's writing back to them. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. It was awesome. Thanks. I liked it. Well, this is great. great. So, there's that. Uh, I mean, we like to hear ourselves quoted back to us. No, no, actually we don't. We like, no. Even why? when I listen to this podcast, I'm like, why am I not forming sentences? What is happening here? Why do I say, uh, yes. so often, <laughs> but that's okay. We, we still, it's, this is a labor of love and we do love when you all reach out to us and give us feedback via our website, via our phone line at 303-997-1903. And just so everybody knows, I mean, I'm sure everybody is obsessively listening to our podcast since we talked about podcasts at the beginning of this episode. Uh, we are going to take just a tiny little couple week break in between to to get ourselves reset and uh, in, enjoy spring a little bit, I guess. Uh, but we should we'll be, be back, back probably, hopefully by the beginning of May. But I uh, just wanted to, to warn people. But in the meantime, thank you to our incredible team. So to Amanda, to Tyler, and of course, to Chris at Worker Bird Studios. And most of all, thank you to you for being here with us thank and listening. You.